Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. And uh, instead of my normal co-host, Johnny Venerable, I'm joined today by our other staff writer, Walter Mitchell. We're going to be here to talk about the Arizona Cardinals, get some of Walter's thoughts on the past few weeks from some of the Cardinals losing streak, some of the cause to blame, how they were able to turn it around against the Giants, and then we'll take an extra good look at uh, some of the Cardinals current needs and the Philadelphia Eagles game this weekend obviously it's a huge game for the Cardinals uh, pushing for that postseason with three games left Uh, before we get too into uh, talking about our cards uh, Walter how are you doing how have you been holding up as the holiday season and the end of football season's been approaching well we just had a uh, near two-foot snowstorm in uh, Massachusetts, Blake, and uh, so I'm, I'm pretty much hunkered down in the uh, draft room bunker, <laughs> <laughs> trying to, um, you know, look to this week's game, which I'm really excited about, as uh, you know, Murray against Hertz, uh, two Oklahoma quarterbacks. Um, you know, it, it should be an exciting game. So I'm, I'm. Uh, I'm agog in anticipation of what we're going to see, and I'm hoping that the Cardinals will keep the momentum that they they earned um, at MetLife in New York. Absolutely. Coming off of their best defensive performance of the year, I would say. Let's talk a bit about the Giants game and then some of the last few weeks. The Cardinals, at one point, after a Hale Murray against the Buffalo Bills, were sitting at 6-3. and three. Playoffs seemed like a lock. They then dropped three straight, only to bounce back with a very strong game against the Giants. Talk about some of your feedback. I know John and I have had kind of some takes, and the local Arizona sports media, I think, had a lot of questions that popped up, uh, turned from essentially, you know, hailing an MVP candidate to questioning all sorts of things. Can you talk a little bit about some of your perspective of 
what you kind of saw from the Cardinals over those three weeks and then part of why there's been so many questions that it seems like fans have been having about this Cardinals regime under Kyler and Cliff. What was some of your takes on why Arizona struggled so much that they dropped those three games? Well, it certainly co- coincided with Kyler getting hurt. Um, you know, and when, when he's not at 100%, um, it kind of limits what they want to do and what he wants to do. And at the same time, you know, they're playing some pretty tough defenses. The uh, He got hurt in the Seahawks game, and the Seahawks had a good plan. They were one of the teams that were zoning Kyler in his running game, and they have the, the speed at linebacker to do it. Um, that's been a, a consistent factor for the teams that have, had success versus the Cardinals offense is speed at linebacker and the ability to defend the whole field, um, both uh, horizontally and vertically. Um, and so tip of the cap to the Seahawks for coming up on a, sh- on a short week with such a good plan. Um, they played their best defensive game of the season. I think that that night and, Kyler, when he was trying to escape the pocket, got taken down and rammed on his uh, AC joint. And, um, you know, from there, he, he was kind of wincing. And, you know, uh, but to his credit, he, he, you know, finished out the game and tried to lead a spirited comeback that, you know, kind of fell short on that pass to Isabella that had it been thrown a little earlier, might have gotten the Cardinals down to the four-yard line in great shape to try to tie the game at 28, which would have been an exciting, another, you know, second OT to have uh, between the Cardinals and Seahawks. So credit to the Cardinals for hanging in on that game. And, um, you know, uh, but then the pa- the Patriots game was, was really tough um, because the Cardinals dominated that game in so many ways. Um, and and I, I just thought it was a really good effort on their part because the Patriots are kind of peaking right then. Um, they had been beset earlier in the year by COVID. And when, when Belichick can't have players practicing and his team practicing, he's not effective um, as he normally is when he can prepare. And he had a great plan for Kyler and the, and the Cardinals. And I knew that he would. Um, you know, I'm sure he'd been looking forward to that game and had his team prepared. But just a colossal, everything that could have gone wrong down the stretch, you know, if you reverse any of those plays, if Buda Baker doesn't lose contain on Cam Newton, the odds of the Cardinals winning that game are probably very high in their favor, even then, you know. Um, and they might have done it in regulation because there were still 50 seconds left on the clock. Um, and they would have had, they could have um, gotten the ball back right then and probably in decent field position. But they really, they played, a, the defense played great right until the end. Um, and, um, you know, they bottle up Cam and, you know, this is where their packages, their jet, you know, um, blitz packages are really paying dividends. And Vance Joseph's done a great job of that. But then came the total head scratcher of a game versus the Rams, which um, all the way back to the bye week, I'd been imploring 
Vance Joseph to even start the Rams preparation then because you have those extra days. Just spend a couple hours on it. Plant the seeds because I don't know about you, Blake, and I imagine uh, you feel the same way I do. If I if I see another Jared Goff wide-open bootleg 25-yard pass to Tyler Higby in my life, it'll be <laughs> – I'd go crazy. I don't know if I'd have a TV left. Um, and we've been watching that for three straight games against the Rams as, um, you know, with Vance Joseph as defensive coordinator. And the astonishing thing to me was that the Dolphins and 49ers put a blueprint on tape as to how to keep Goff in the pocket and how to get into his face and then get into his head. And the Cardinals, once again, did absolutely nothing to stop their bread and butter plays. I um, mean, it's, it's pretty easy to know what they are. It starts with their power off tackle play. So you have to stop that with, um, with their running backs. We're good at running it. Um, and then all the bootleg and waggle stuff off of it where they hide uh, woods underneath the formation and he go, runs to the opposite side to the waggle side. And you've got, you know, if you don't chase him right, he's got an easy catch over on that side for usually about 10, 12 yards, which the Cardinals haven't defended in the three times that they've played the Rams. And, you know, for the first play of the game, Blake, um, of that game, I mean, think about it. You know, it was like, it was like Sean McVay said, well, let's see if you've learned anything since the last time we played. you. We're going to run the, the fake off tackle. We're going to bootleg Jared Goff to his right. And, and then we're going to try to hit Higby 20 yards downfield. Well, make the fake, runs the bootleg. Um, whoever the edge was on that backside bit inside like they always do, which drives me crazy. Goff is easily broken contained. He's out there all alone and throws a strike down to, to um, Higby for a 20-yard game, and that's how the game starts. If you're Sean McVay and you see that on the very first play, you have to be laughing inside. You have to absolutely be laughing and saying to yourself, oh, boy, well, Jared Goff was in a slump from last game. Well, just as he did last year, he's going to light this team up for 300-plus yards and three or four TDs, which is exactly what he did. So that really stuck in my craw as a, a missed opportunity because those – that Ram game, that could have had the Cardinals back in tied for first place in the division, even though they lost a couple of games or right there in contention. But the defense in that game was made it impossible to win. Um, and the offense struggled mightily in that first half with the Rams speed on defense. Um, it reminded me of Kyler versus Alabama. Um, and Kyler was still sort of feeling himself a little bit with the, with the shoulder and not knowing whether to run, and he was, you know, a little antsy there. But I have to give Kyler, like he did against Alabama, a lot of credit. In that second half, he started to figure it out. And he, he um, engineered more touchdown drives in the second half versus the Rams than any team has had against them all year. And uh, against the team that, I don't know what's the stat now, it's like, Sean McVay is 34-0 and when his Rams are leading at halftime, which is a gaudy stat. 
You know, think about that. Wow. Talk about being able to close out games. And their defense last year wasn't even that great. Um, so to be able to do that, I mean, for Kyler to do that, I thought was, uh, was commendable. And, you know, I think that that kind of gave him and the Cardinals a taste of, of, you know, let's go to New York and let's get this thing back on track. And I thought the Cardinals defense in New York took a page right out of the Rams book. I think they looked at that Rams defense and said, wow, these guys are all over the field making plays. Let's, let's have ourselves a little something, something on that. And, and that's the way they played in New York. They were super aggressive for the first time all year. They, um, they really dogged an opponent from start to finish. I mean, they didn't give them anything. Um, and, of course, those sacks on, on um, Daniel Jones were awesome. I mean, and Reddick had a career day. and Gardeck was amazing. And, and uh, Marcus Golden got the thing started with a strip sack and, you know, scoop. So the defense really set the tone for that game. And the offense had a good, solid game. So it was great to be back on, on track. Um, this hopefully we can carry this momentum over into the most important and vital stretch of the season. Um, but as you and I will talk about, uh, you know, this, this Eagles team shocked the world starting their rookie quarterback and beating a team that had won nine straight games. <laughs> so how do you figure? Uh, um, so we have a little bit to talk about there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I felt similar to you with going back to the Rams game. You and I both agreed that Belichick was going to be able to design a great game plan. The cards almost come out with the win there. So essentially came down to two detail plays, the obvious miss by Zane Gonzalez. And then I had no issues with Kingsbury calling the timeout on that third and 13 run by Cam Newton, because, you know, if you get a stop there, tackle him on third and 12, suddenly you get the ball back. You have a chance to be right. able to get down and send another kick at least for that one get some redemption similar to the seattle game um exactly. just end up seeing at least a call of the penalty that maybe shouldn't have been there but uh, give credit to the patriots who weren't able to you know run the ball all day arizona loses some contained cam newton runs around and i do think like i said with you i agree that losing contain on some of these runs is the concern that i've seen with the cardinals defense overall and that's something we'll get into with the Eagles game because, like you said, there was a lot of times that I would see the Cardinals rush four on Jared Goff. And like you said, the I think part of the reason they do such a great job, and a lot of it is, you know, the creativity that McVay is able to use. Um, we saw some of that, I think, from Kingsbury in the Giants game. We can uh, touch on that here. But what I think, at least, that I was curious about was it did feel like it was more of a game plan design where sometimes Cooper Cup was just better than the guy covering him. Goff was under pressure, made a great throw. Cup made a great adjustment. And sometimes you just get beat. You tip your cap to the guys there. But there was way too many times where I would see the Cardinals seemingly rush four and Goff, like you said, would be designed open. And at some point you have to either look at a limitation of some of the, either the talent the Cardinals are running out. Maybe some of this is a golden Reddick type of issue, but on the other hand, some of it I think is designed like, you know, if Goff turns around on a bootleg and suddenly Buda Baker there is blitzed off of the edge and he's got a one-on-one -on -one with Goff and Goff has to figure out, oh, shoot, he's under pressure. I think some of the defensive tendencies of Vance Joseph 
were worked out by Sean McVay. Like you said, as far as prep and other aspects there, I think that he's been trying to make things work, knowing that there's, you know, less talent on the defensive tackle position. Some of the corners and guys like Jalen Thompson are banged up, but it did really feel like that there was times I would watch on third down where they would know exactly what coverage was called. They would either have a screen pass uh, designed if the Cardinals were going to blitz, even if it wasn't obvious, or there would be times they would have Higby or Gerald Everett lined up on Jordan Hicks in coverage. And that's kind of the one thing where right now, because the Cardinals try to scheme the run toward their linebacker in Hicks right up the middle, it was helpful to have a guy who's a solid tackler, but it does show some of the limitations he has athletically. So I think ultimately what the Arizona Cardinals developed from that game was they kind of took a page out of the Rams book for the Giants game where you looked at and I got to see Kyler under center was something we hadn't seen a lot. We saw Max Williams utilized a lot more. There was a play he should have had for a red zone touchdown that was a bit of a mismatch and kept him in to protect. We also got to see at least as far as the play design kind of a return to form for DeAndre Hopkins moving him around the field even putting him in the slot on several plays having some uh, crossing routes that we got to be able to see it felt kind of like like the Cardinals in twofold were getting a bit more comfortable with Kyler feeling better where he was able to not have to worry and the other thing was that it felt like the offensive line really played and did a great job against the Giants where it wasn't the case against the Rams and I do think level of competition has been a factor in some of these losses but I'm very excited to see what some of the changes the Cardinals will have if their offensive line can gel a bit more. What did you see out of the Giants game that you thought was encouraging overall from the offensive side out of Cliff? What were kind of the tweaks that you saw that seemed to fix the offense? And do you think we can expect more of the same moving forward? Yeah, you uh, summarized it very well uh, with, you know, talking about Max Williams in the backfield. You know, there were some wrinkles that Cliff put in in this game that were very helpful and I, I think um, you know, put the Giants off balance in defending Hopkins and putting him on in motion was a smart move. Running him on meshes uh, is always a smart move. Um, you know, and Kyler, Kyler made the plays that, you know, the, the wow plays that we saw at Oklahoma in that game. The, um, the back foot lob pass to Dan Arnold in the back of the end zone, that was a Rembrandt. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you are you have two guys in your face like that, the tendency is to throw it through the goalposts, for one. But for him to drop that little, that was just like another like mini Hale Murray. Because it just was, you know, dropped so perfectly on an angle and where only Dan Arnold can catch it. And Dan had said in practice, Kyler, just throw it up to, to where I can, can catch this. And uh, that's exactly what Kyler did. You know, so um, that play was sensational. And it came at a time when we were frustratingly settling for field goals. Uh, credit to Mike Nugent for coming in and just kind of and being steady and, you know, he kicks a little lazy ball right through the end, uprights. And that's what it takes sometimes it's just you know you don't need it you know just you know power through just just uh you know get it up there and right through the uprights and that's what he was doing and that that felt really good but 
you know, for coming into the game, being number one in the NFL and in red zone TD percentage, which I, in my lifetime, I've never remembered the Cardinals having that stat. Um, yeah, I mean, there are new highs for the Cardinals seemingly every week, like Reddick's five sacks and, you know, um, and all these players of the weeks, whenever they win, um, you know, that's all very encouraging, but, but also, um, you know, that play, you remember the play Brett Blake where um, Murray was flush from the pocket and he started to scramble right up the middle, but then spotted Hopkins and threw a perfect sidearm dime to Hopkins on like just a snap release. Yeah. It was Russell Wilson esque, very Russell Wilson esque. Like just quick snap cat like release. Um, the Hopkins made a nice catch on over the middle. You know, those kind of split second, um, you know, improvs from Kyler were reminiscent of his Oklahoma days. And I was just so excited to see that because that's a part of his game that, um, you know, is, is, is very exciting um, and, um, and rare. I mean, I, you know, to make those kind of quick second decisions and instincts is a rare trait for any quarterback. And I think Kyler has been kind of too reluctant to do that this soon in his career for fear of, you know, throwing an interception or whatever. But, uh, boy, in this game, um, he showed some really terrific stuff. It felt like Kyler's taking another step in his evolution because we are seeing how teams are having to adjust to him running the football and what I think that is going to start to change is you're going to see more pass plays like that to Hopkins where teams are going to recognize, oh, Kyler's running. Go ahead and make sure he doesn't get to the first down marker because teams are going to be not wanting to let him pick up, you know, 18 yards on a third and 17. What we've seen, I think, up until this point earlier this year has been a lot of teams would continue to play the pass. They would see guys in coverage and stick with their man. If Kyler's going to be able to develop as a guy who can um, start to be able to take advantage of birding teams when he's throwing on the run, uh, that I think is going to be another step in his evolution. And like you said, there's been times in the past where he's thrown interceptions while he's been trying to roll out of the pocket, extend the play, maybe misjudged a linebacker, thought he could fit it over or, you know, didn't get enough um, velocity onto the ball. I think that it's kind of an aspect where, the expectations for this kid have been so high. A lot of times we, you know, get used to the 40 touchdown, uh, huge, you know, yardage game from Kyler. You forget that he's still a 23-year-old kid who's started essentially one season of football at a level that actually was competent at Oklahoma because you look at Texas A&M's offense, he was essentially running around making plays or throwing comeback routes. That was all that Kevin Sumlin had really designed for him. So... Uh, I like what you have talked about as far as for how it's not necessarily been a functional issue for the Cardinals so much as just kind of some of the growing pains that we probably need to expect from a young quarterback and also a, a young head coach. It's not like Cliff Kingsbury's, you know, spent 10 years in the NFL before getting this opportunity. Um, I do think that their expectations obviously isn't just to settle, of course, Um And I think that's kind of one of the differences between a team like the Cardinals or a team like the Giants. This last game, what we got to see, I think, was some of what happens when Kyler had the run taken away was 
reflected in Daniel Jones. He didn't have any design runs for him that I saw. Now, Kyler didn't have any design touchdown runs. There was a uh, scramble, I believe, to the right where it looked like it was more of a boot, I believe, from under center. And uh, it was incomplete to Keyshawn Johnson. Uh, a little bit late, he had a guy in his face. It was something, at least, that got him on their move. But to see that with Daniel Jones and to kind of see how New York has essentially treated the quarterback position almost as if saying it's not really Daniel Jones's fault, more of needing to get as much as they can as far as talent around him. And I've just seen a lot as far as where the organization seems almost content to have a lot of the big numbers, but not really any type of ability to work on the turnovers, how long he's hung on to the ball. Like it, it was a case where I even talked about on the podcast, I was almost more confident in Colt McCoy leading the Giants to a victory than the likes of Jones because of the fact that Jones holding onto the ball and turning it over and the lack of development we've seen over there over the past two years is something that would be very concerning if I was a Giants fan to whether or not he's going to be the guy or not. And that's definitely, I think, something that will be coming up this week as far as with the Eagles game. Um, just because that's where you're facing a rookie quarterback, you're going to have to try to find ways to be able to take advantage of the fact that he's young and experienced. But I did want to get back to the defenses. What we're seeing right now is uh, a top-ranked defense, not as much in yardage, but situationally what we've seen is the Cardinals have been very good this year. Uh, Vance Joseph seems to have figured out on third downs especially, and we're starting to see sacks can come in bunches at least. Hassan Reddick and Marcus Golden did not really get to the passer over the past few weeks outside of the New England game. What are some of the things you're seeing as far as with the defense? And do you think that that's something that's sustainable going into next year? Like, are we talking about this being that the talent the Cardinals have is finally being put to good use? Or is this going to be a schematic issue where Vance Joseph has been kind of the unsung MVP of the season? And how much weight do you apply in either of those? Well, I, I give Vance a lot of credit for manufacturing pressure and disguising it as he started to in that first Seahawks win that really turned that game around in overtime. Um, boy, I was hoping to see that tandem of Vallejo and Simmons quite a bit after that and haven't seen it since. Um, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, Vallejo made the two best uh, step up middle line that Mike tackles I've seen all year. Um, for whatever reason, Jordan Hicks is not interested in doing that for the Cardinals this year. Um, and I, I hate to say that because whenever I see him talk, he looks and sounds like a captain and leader to me, but he's got to step up like a leader on the football field. I also don't understand the romance of having him in on, on uh, passing plays. Because uh, let me tell you this right now, if Vance Joseph's scheme for the Eagles is to have him key on Miles Sanders, forget it. Forget it. Uh, he can't do it. He's not fast enough to cover NFL, speedy NFL running backs like that. And last year he was stepping up more and he was more of a pre physical presence and more, more of a leader on the field than he is this year. And I'm sorry to be so critical, but it frustrates me because the guy we had come in for him did it wrong. And, you know, you go on PFF right now and look at the top of the Cardinals defensive um, grades, all those 
young guys that come in and do it right are at the top. Vallejo's right up there. Um, Gardeck. I mean, how does Gardeck only have 69 snaps this season? I mean, once he got in that Jet game, he, he should have been in all the time. I mean, I like Marcus Golden, but Golden doesn't have that kind of quickness on the edge the way an explosion the way that um, Gardeck does. Why is Golden in there and not, not Gardeck? I would reverse those roles and put Golden in the inside on that little spy blitzer role and put Gardeck on the edge. People double-teamed him when he was out there on the edge because he was so explosive around the corner there. And he's got bend around the corner, which Golden's a power guy, and, and he always will be. And I, I love his attitude, uh, and I love having him back. But in terms of Ed's rushing, um, you know, uh, he's average. Um, and he, he wins by hustle. He, he's a he's a great for coverage sacks, um, which the Cardinals, like you pointed out with Daniel Jones, and you had a really good call there with Colt McCoy. It might have been a different story with McCoy back there, particularly after they won with McCoy the week before in such an impressive fashion, right? So, but with Jones, he held on to the ball too long because it was like Cardinals of last year. They couldn't separate. And Patrick Peterson and and Byron Murphy and Drake Kirkpatrick had their best games. Finally, we saw really dogged, sticky, constant, constant coverage where even when Murphy got beat, Blake, he had defended that pass before and broken it up. Yep, totally and he was agree. right there to, to knock it out of um, Golden Tate's hands. But that's a play you can live with because you know they're dogging Tate on that play, and it took a perfect throw and a perfect catch. And, okay, it was like the Seahawks game in the first half. Some of those kind of perfect throws and perfect catches, you can't stop. But you, you can take solace in the fact that you're right there in a position, you're hustling enough and, and playing aggressive enough to be right there to make a play. So, but generally on, on defense, what, what always concerns me is lack of contain because we open up Pandora's box every time someone turns the edge. Because let's face it, our cornerbacks do not want to tackle. They're not going to blow up screens. They're not going to come running up and defend and force the run. I mean, and when they do, it's it's token, mock. I mean, slip on the grass. Oh, sorry, I fell. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we if you look at, at the Cardinals' um, weakness on defense, it's typically around those edges and up the corners um, where on, on just simple flare passes, on sweeps, on um, quarterback waggles and bootlegs turned into runs um on you know simple screen passes i mean i don't know about you but every time an opponent throws a a sideways screen i'm like totally cringing thinking oh my god this could go the distance um and that bothers me and and the only savior there to me are two of the, the two safeties who are utter ballers in um, Buddha and Jalen, but Banjo's doing a heck of a job in Jalen's spot. So we got, we got some depth there and Deontay, you know, 
I like Banjo. He's a baller. He'll he'll tackle you. Um, and I like Murphy. He'll tackle you. Um, oh yeah. So next year, I'm hoping Murphy's one of the two corners. I mean, I'm not buying this. Murphy's just a slot corner. I don't get that at all. Um, you know, he was a top ten ranked player coming out of his draft for a reason. Um, and you know. Um, the Cardinals need to catch in on that. Um, I, I prefer someone faster in the slot. I don't know about you, Blake, but I, I think that Murphy is great as a boundary corner and was at Washington and should that should translate over. And so then I think we need another young, aggressive corner. I like two in free agency. Sidney Jones is, is uh, his old teammate at Washington and Buddha's teammate. Um, who I just noticed today is out this week with an Achilles. I don't know how bad that is. That, that's a bummer because he's having a good season with Jacksonville. And I like Michael Davis of the Chargers. Um, like the physicality of his play. And both those guys are grading in like the 70s in PFF this year. So, I mean, I don't think either one of them would be hugely expensive either. But And I want to see us draft a cornerback too. And we need to, you know, keep fortifying that position. And I liked the aggressiveness of Jace Whitaker when he got in there. I didn't like the handsy PI calls, which I don't get with every sub that comes like Kevin Peterson just came in and held everybody. I don't get that. I mean, if you're coached all week to do it right, why can't you do it right in a game? And the repetitiveness of those mistakes, a lot of PI calls up until last week, you know, last few weeks, not as not as much because because they're using their legs. The cover guys are using their legs better. But yeah, I mean, to me, next year I want a, someone different. Mike, younger, faster, more aggressive. See, I want to see Vallejo now. He could be the guy. I mean, people just think, oh, he's just a special teamer. Well, then why? How does he come up in the biggest game of the year? and make the two biggest tackles of the season. That tells me something. And last year when he played against the Browns on that, what was it, a Sunday night football game or a Thursday or Sunday night? I remember it was a primetime game. He had a great game against the Browns and then unfortunately got hurt um, uh, at the end of that game and and missed games after that. But, but, you know, he's a kid who's, when he's had the chance, he's graded out really well. And he's got speed and he can cover. See, that's the other thing is, you know, in today's football, you need three down linebackers who, you know, like we're getting the best of all worlds from Hassan Reddick right now. We have never had a 34 outside linebacker who combines the triple threat skills that he brings to the table. Um, usually we've had slower guys who can't hold up in coverage, not Reddick. He's, he is excellent in coverage. He defends the run. He's the only guy I've seen all year keep contained. And you always need that against Russell Wilson, for example. And Reddick's had some of his best games against Wilson. And that in itself makes me want to, you know, re-sign him right now. But also, I mean, he's got that. He's, he's just blasting it on the edge now. I mean, he's, he, he's a man possessed. Um, I mean, what he put on tape there, Blake, uh, for anyone in the NFL to see, he was got sacks from the left, 
sacks from the right. Um, earlier in the game, when the Giants were pinned on a third and long down inside their five-yard line, if you go back to that tape, all you guys who were listening, and look at that text hunt that, that he and Zach Allen ran. Um, Zach Allen took a good angle to the outside, and Reddick blew right, right past Allen's butt. And watch his acceleration to Jones on that play is just awesome. I mean, he and and he quote, got right in Jones's face, um, disrupted the pass, and you know, and would have had a sack if Jones had eaten the ball there. The the, the ball fell incomplete. Uh, actually, Patrick Peterson made a nice play on that and broke it up and third down, um, three and out, and they're punting the ball back to the Cardinals, and it was a beautiful thing. So. Um, so yeah, I think we need to get stronger in the middle. I see Simmons as the other linebacker. I didn't think it at first. Um, but now I do, uh, I still had a dream of Simmons as, as the other corner opposite Murphy. Um, and you know, maybe I'm crazy, but at his speed and size, I think he could be a turbo version of, um, Richard Sherman out there. Um, but that's how important I think cornerback is for our D. We've got to get those straightened out. I love our safeties coming back, Blake. Um, and I like the young talent. We, we're we're building on that defensive line. I mean, Zach Allen's coming on. He had a good game against the Giants. Um, love Lecky Foto. I love him. I mean, he is, he is a star in the making. Um, I like the addition of D'Amato Pico, too, who um, uh, has really helped, helped pick up the morale of that unit um, and the energy level. And then Rashad Lawrence, we haven't seen much of lately, but, you know, those three kids right in there, I mean, as, as they develop, I think we've got something special there. Um, and hopefully Jordan Phillips will come back healthy and in shape this year and, and um uh, so we can start cashing in on that expensive contract. But so, yeah, I mean, what do you think? What else would you add to that? Yeah, I think you're totally on, on the biggest thing overall this year that I've seen that's been kind of a shortcoming has been that there's been a lot of missed tackles that ultimately have been on Jordan Hicks. There's aspects, like you said, with our safeties that have been in some cases making up for that. And, it's rough because Hicks is a guy who they signed to kind of man this position to ultimately improve a lot of their coverage of either tight ends or other players. And we're kind of seeing, at least in the design of their defense, of the Mike is the tackle guy. And then you put a guy like Campbell or Simmons as kind of your coverage linebacker and then make use of your safeties. What we're kind of seeing, at least, is that the NFL, in terms of it being a mismatch league, you have to be able to get guys that can tackle when they need to be there and be in the right place at the right time. And there hasn't been as much of that from Hicks this season. Now, maybe he's playing through a battling stuff. Sometimes you give a guy the benefit of the doubt. Other times you look at the injuries he sustained, the fact that he's almost 30, and go, yeah, maybe some of that aspect should be given to a guy like Tanner Vallejo. Now, I will say this, because this is a lesson that I think the Cardinals learned earlier with Dale Buchanan was when they put Buchanan as a guy in the box overall, there were multiple times where teams started to take advantage of that because he was the same weight as Vallejo, about 6'1", 215. Now, 
maybe Dayon bulked up a bit to get to the 220s or the, a little bit higher. But I remember the Falcons game in 2016 where essentially they would run the ball and always would work to get a matchup where their center would line up on Buchanan. He would just bowl him over because, you know, you got a 300-pound center on a guy who's much more of like a, the nickname was a drone because he would be a guy who would hunt and chase. When forced to kind of be that guy who could shed blocks and tackle, that's where they saw issues. Now, what I think you should do in that regard is I'd love to see making some use of some of these defensive adjustments to be able to get Vallejo on the field a bit more in those coverage terms uh, without necessarily sacrificing you know, a, a guy like the Mike being able to call out some of the plays or assignments and hicks. I think some of that balance is on a defensive coordinator and a coach to know what you have, what players are good at, and what they're not. One of the things I think we haven't seen as much from Dennis Gardeck is not just because of his slightly smaller size. He plays like he's, you know, 30 pounds heavier than he is. I think that he's a guy who we've seen is probably not someone you want on the field to be a run stopper and every single down, but gives you a lot of situational pass rush upside. And he's still learning some from being on that inside linebacker spot. And I think you take a look at this defense and you can kind of see the painting that Vance Joseph is trying to paint. And I think it kind of points back to the idea that as far as it goes in the front seven, the Cardinals kind of finally got to a point where they had enough veteran coverage on the back end that they weren't going to be, you know, blowing the coverages or having guys who would line up and just flat out beat you one-on-one. The adjustment I think that we'd like to see is finding different ways that they'll be able to add to that talent collective and make the coverage team even better. I, I think that's been the weakest position for the Cardinals. And if you look at how their defense is graded out this year, you know, the players, at least, who've been the worst in coverage overall, oddly enough, at least, you kind of take a look outside of some of the guys are, you know, expected. You're not playing Marcus Golden or Devon Kennard to be in coverage, although ironically, Kennard was in part signed because of that flexibility to be able to have athleticism to cover guys. And he's just not really shown that this year. And that's part of why he was losing snaps to Redick in, in the first place. So, it may be a little easy to say that because of the flexibility of his contract, you can take Kennard. It might be a cut that you make to say, hey, we can take Kennard's money next two years, give it to Reddick, throw in a little bit of a boost as far as, you know, maybe incentivize with some sack numbers, lock down the position at least with Chandler Jones for next year, maybe even the year after that. Maybe that's a little too simplistic, but the other players, I think, that like you mentioned, that have been poor in coverage this year have been the likes of Drake Kirkpatrick and Patrick Peterson overall. Uh, Hassan Reddick, I think, has been good enough in his role that you're not needing to line him up in coverage all the time. It's similar to kind of how Chandler Jones was in that aspect. And I think that's the biggest thing overall is looking at the Cardinals this year. The front seven, honestly, is much improved to the point where you're really looking at that back end and saying, all right, we know what we have in Byron Murphy, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the mode where, uh, this is just me, I don't have an issue with Murphy as far as in the slot, but I think that if you're going to take that approach, you need to look at additional flexibility in terms of utilizing mismatches on this team to mystify defenses, because you've got a talent in Murphy, a talent in Buda Baker, and a talent in Isaiah Simmons, 
And even the likes of Jalen Thompson, if we get to see him again this season, is remains to be seen. But if he's able to bounce back for next year and come back, uh, be able to play healthy, you've got four guys who essentially could be your team's slot corner, who could also play safety, who can also rush the passer on a blitz off of the edge. I think being able to utilize more of a defense where the quarterback lines up and gets like, okay, wait, no, where's Isaiah Simmons? Well, he's out, moved out to the boundary corner following a tight end split out there. You've got Byron Murphy looking like he's a slot corner. Suddenly he drops back and plays safety. Jalen takes over that spot, and Buddha then suddenly brings a blitz. There's a lot of potential the Cardinals, I think, have with just their safety linebacker configurations. And I think that Byron is a part of that, at least. It doesn't, however, fit into what Vance's defensive philosophy is of leaving his two boundary and outside corners on island so he can kind of play around with the interior. So in that regard, I think that you're right. I'm very curious to see, are the Cardinals going to look at trying to continue to build on what they have with Vance Joseph here in finding then maybe better corners or younger guys with speed to accompany the rest of this defense and continue to double down on that approach? Or do you take a look at Vance and be like, yeah, like we know the talent that we have. Maybe there's a way that we can try to move toward more of the talent that's on our roster, play a bit more of this Clemson style positionless football. And I think that some of that starts looking at the talent that they had in Hassan Reddick and how he had been misdiagnosed for years as an inside linebacker, I think in part because Teams looked at him at 6'1", 230, and were like, yeah, you're, you're an inside linebacker straight up, when he maybe have been looked at a bit undersized for the outside and the edge rushing role, but he was a tackle for lost machine in college who honestly had a better collegiate career <laughs> than Marcus Golden did when you look at their defensive end stats. So I think that putting him into, like you said, uh, you've called him the modern NFL linebacker in a lot of ways. And I think that maybe that is kind of the future of the NFL is you want to find these type of 260 pound freaks who can come off the edge with athleticism. But if you can't find those guys, finding a guy who's maybe a little undersized at 230, who's got the juice and still has the ability to hold up outside against the run, that may be the future of the NFL because it's a coverage game. And you've been very reticent on that as far as, the role that Hassan has had. And I think it's been frustrating to fans to see him have been out of position for all these years. And the Cardinals now are credit to him. He's put together a season that's going to get him paid in a way where a lot of fans had already given up on him as a bust. Right. I think you hit on some really good points there. I think on both sides of the ball this off season, we've got to get faster. Both sides are too slow for 21st century NFL football. Um, on the whole, I mean, look at the rage today. I mean, you're, I mean, Tanner Vallejo is six one two thirty now, by the way. Um, and you know, if you look at the rage now, these fast three down inside linebackers who beat you with quickness, not girth, you know, of the old days are in total vogue. I mean, look at the two guys the Bucks have in Devin White. He's six foot oh, 235. And Levante David, who's six foot one, 230. I mean, those guys are all over the field making plays, and they don't come out because they're good in coverage. And look at Bobby Wagner. I mean, he's six two, about 240. 
Um, look at Fred Warner for the for the 49ers. 6'1", 230. Same, or 6'2", 230. He's got an inch on, on Vail. That's why I want to know, imagine what a boon it would be for the salary cap if we could start Vaela there next year with, you know, maybe draft another rookie, um, you know, in behind him, you know, look at the money you could save if, if he's, if he can be a really good player for you there. I mean, this is where what frustrates me when we get young talent, we tend to pigeonhole all these guys as special teams players. And then when they get their chance and do well, we still say, nah, nah, you know, like Dennis Gardeck with 69 snaps this year is just egregious. It's ridiculous. He's one of the best 11 football players on this team, period. You want him all over the field making tackles like he does on special teams. And, and you know, you win with speed in this league now, especially on the edges with these mobile quarterbacks. That's why, you know, if we started the season next year with Reddick at Sam, and Gardeck at will, I'd be delirious. I mean, Reddick, I mean, Gardeck can play the, play the bandit like, you know, crazy. I mean, and then you don't lose contain. Then you don't, you get an athletic guy. Now, like you said, well, teams will run at him, but Gardeck is a tough kid. He's not going to back down off that. He, he can, you know, meet the lead blocker and, and, and take him out and hold the edge. I have no doubt that he can do that. Um, but, you know, we do. We need to get faster. We need at corners, too, more aggressive and more physical. But today's, today's game, you know, predicated on speed. And that's what concerns me a little bit about this, this Eagles game is that, you know, in, in Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders, you got a, you know, a, um, a dual threat um, speed-wise to contend with in this game. And if you don't contain those guys and, and key on them with the right players, like if I, if I were coaching this week, I'd say, you know, Isaiah, you're taking um, – we're going to have you key on on uh, Miles Sanders as much as possible. We're going to line you up over him, and whatever he goes, you go. If he stays in the block, you can spy. Terry, I, I would make it that simple. I want my best athlete on him because if he breaks it, and he's gone. Um, just as – you know, look at what we do against Cam Akers. That was uh, not good. And Henderson. I mean, those guys, you know, busted ones for lengthy games. Now, they came back against the Giants. Gallman never got started. Morris never got started. Part of it was being in a 10-0 hole right away, which, you know, then 13-0 hole, um, actually. Um, and then they were passing more, but if we can get faster and quicker to the ball, that, that helps with tackling too, because, you know, Hicks to his credit is making tackles. The problem is the tackles are coming. The running backs are coming to him. He's not coming to them. And there's a huge difference where that's concerned. Cause it's also a difference between being four yards. If you come to them, the whole point is to try to, you know, you want to get to them early because they can make one cut and be gone. Like, uh, you know, um, 
Mostert. I mean, those guys on on the 49ers, you'd give them any room. They could plant and cut and be gone. So you got to squeeze those holes down. And that's where quickness can win even better than strength. Because even if a, you know, 320 pound guards coming after you, if you can out quick them to the ball, you can slow the run right there, or at least turn it into your, your, um, you know, inside linebacker mate to finish off the play. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about what this defense can do. My only thing with Joseph is I don't get why the veterans don't play hard for him. Um, every veteran that he's stuck with this whole year is like fifth have, except for the age old Corey Peters, um, you know, who's been doing this for years. And uh, Pecco was the other one. Pecco came in and has played very, very well and very hard for that he one, has. too. Uh, and he's a 15-year veteran in the right. league. And he's brought <laughs> juice and energy. Love it. And But all, all those guys, all those other veterans, like, down years and, and you know, grades, PFF grades below what I would call the Mendoza line. I mean, they're awful. Awful grades. And, uh, you know, um, and I the eye test tells me why um because of the you know they're just slow to the ball uh, um often um they're just mistake prone and you know and and what bothers me more than anything else is you know there's physical hustle and there's mental hustle i don't some games you just wonder where their heads are because it's just the hustle's not quite there but as you and I were both saying about the Giants game, it was there in full force for 60 minutes. It was great to see. And if that carries over, you know, Steve Kime today on the radio, he's driving me nuts. I'm sorry. You know, he's so matter of fact. He says, well, we've got to match the Eagles intensity. Are you kidding me? We're in a playoff hunt, and we got to match their intensity. I mean, come on, man! Are you kidding me? How about they better match our intensity? Because we're coming after you. We're going to come after them. You know what I'm saying? It's like a mentality. You know, maybe I'm nitpicking there. You know, as I sometimes do with things that people say, but that really stuck in my craw. Like, we're going to match their intensity? Who has more to play for here? And we're playing at home. we got to bring our own juice, our own energy, and let them try to match ours, right? So it's, 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 it's a different kind of approach. I think the Cardinals need to be more aggressive and talk about their own intensity than thinking about matching someone else's. Yeah, I would agree with that, Walter. We've talked a lot about, and this goes back to, I think, what Seth Cox, our site manager, said, and we've kind of been in unison of looking at the Cardinals as a historically losing franchise is something that fans are looking at, whereas it's harder to see that, I think, internally as a team. And one thing that the Cardinals, we've said, have struggled with is a lot of times they'll overrate their own players compared to the rest of the NFL, and sometimes that will just be... Uh, a, a belief of being able to settle versus the pursuit of excellence. And that's 
one of the biggest differences of bringing a guy like Kyler Murray in is you see a guy who's dejected on the sideline after they take the lead in the Patriots game. You're like, oh, I don't like his body language. Why isn't he glad or happy there? And the answer is because he knows they should be blowing out this Patriots team with how defensively they were playing. And he was upset at himself because he felt like he needed to raise his level. And this is a guy who, again, was playing through the AC joint. And I think you bring up a great point with the corners. To me, Dre is, Kirkpatrick is, he kind of is who he is at this point because you look at how he's been as far as a veteran corner in the league. It's not that he's not giving the effort on different plays. It's that he's always been a guy who's been able to kind of get baited in and playing a bit of catch up, but is able to gamble and get some interceptions as a result as well. There's one time where he went for the interception, didn't get it, but for the most part, it's been more of kind of an ability thing. And you remember, you know, he was on the street for a reason, brought into the Cardinals. He's played well, given the circumstances. I think what more it shows, like you said, is with Patrick Peterson this season, does feel like that it's the last season with him in part because what we saw in the past from Peterson, you were a guy who was always kind of on this. He always would be a person who would kind of end up bringing his A game whenever there was a big number one wide receiver, but then there'd be weeks where it would suddenly seem to drop off and there'd be times where you'd look at him and he'd just like, oh gosh, you like you just miss on a tackle for that one when that was the one area and he'd either take the wrong angle and it would just be perpetual. What I think we've seen and, you know, the I urge fans at least who do have seen those to reflect on it is we've seen Peterson's seasons kind of from that 2015-2016 season go downhill there was a recovery that happened in the 2018 season and where his grade just kind of skyrocketed back up what happened the season following that was when we saw the ped suspension so whatever it correlates mentally or physically there's just something at least where you can see that peterson is not having that same juice to recover anymore and in that sense, that's where you have to become a lot more technical as a corner. And you have to be able to, you know, be uh, kind of do what Larry Fitzgerald did is accept some of the limitations that you have. What Larry was limited on is being able to separate and get open downfield. So what he does now is play a guy who can block especially well and then play a guy who's able to take these underneath routes, make these tough catches to move the chains. And that's something I think that with the Cardinals, a lot of people are looking at this team going, oh, this defense is solid. And I think that this defense can honestly improve and get better, but it's going to take finding some of those guys in coverage. And it's a plus to see the likes of a Byron Murphy there. There's times he still gets beat off the line occasionally, but he still has that ability to recover. And again, like you said, the, the willingness and tackling, you can tell he's going to be one of those guys who probably gets one of those Buda Baker type contracts if he stays on this current path. Where I think the Cardinals are improving in some aspects, uh, if we switch to the um, offensive side, uh, I talked a bit about rotating in some of those players, like getting more snaps for Vallejo, rotating some of these guys in, getting some more speed onto the field, uh, using it situationally where you're able to, you know, dictate some of the terms uh, on defense to say, hey, we're going to be able to bring a blitz over all here up the middle with a guy like Simmons who can rush the passer, knowing we've got a coverage guy like Vallejo back here on third down and then we can quick swap at least on first down if they get it to get Hicks back in there knowing that their tendency is going to be to run it up the middle we haven't seen those type of adjustments from Vance Joseph there's obviously guys rotating in on the defensive line but 
not as much in the secondary. Maybe there's trust issues there. What I would like to see is more of those rotations, and we had been seeing them with Cliff Kingsbury with putting in different tight ends for that one. You would see Max Williams get some breaks on the sideline, and especially in the offensive line, you would see times where Justin Murray would go in for Justin Pugh or go in for J.R. Sweezy, and that was one of the things that a lot of people said is, a improvement for a team to be able to get guys reps on the field, be able to develop them. And what we've kind of seen it lead to this week is Justin Murray is now the leading right guard on the depth chart. And you and I both, I think, can attest to this, Walter. We had kind of talked and mentioned how Murray was bringing a whole lot more edge in the run game while not giving up or making huge mistakes in the passing game like Sweezy had been against the run. And we were saying, hey, like, we probably should be looking at Justin Murray as the team starting right guard moving forward. The team officially seems like they've made that move this week. And I think it's good to see Kingsbury kind of making some of those adjustments, working on developing young players. And I agree with you. It'd be nice to see Vance Joseph do some of the same thing because we're starting to see guys like Dan Arnold, as a result, take on a bit bigger role. And I think the Cardinals are going to benefit overall from some of those moves, and it'd be nice to see Vance do some of the same. What are you seeing as far as the offense and on that side, and how much of that also ties into seeing the likes of Andy Isabella, who's gotten a lot of the snaps, be inactive last week while Keyshawn Johnson has been getting more and more playing time, it seems like, and in one of those plays against the Rams, he ran out of the slot, catches a crucial pass on 4th and 12, and it was like, yeah, I feel like I'd like to see right. a lot that more of these guys point. on the offensive side produce. Yeah. Well, I was writing about this today in an article on ROTB called um, Cards Misfiring on, on Isabella, and uh, you can read all about it. Um, the nutshell is Isabella's a guy you have to target, um, like make him your main target on a play because he's so quick coming out of his breaks, you have to throw the ball just when he makes his cut. And then you're going to get spring him on unbelievable racks run after the catches. Um, you know, like in that Seahawks game, he was so wide open on that corner route and it's just too bad. My only thought was that Kyler was late throwing the ball because was because Isabella was probably the second option on that play and he was checking down off of the first op option and by then it was too late and um if we had replay last year like last year we might have gotten a pi call on reddick on uh, on Isabella because he got hit in the face mask before the ball arrived um you know that couldn't be picked up in real time by the refs uh, but could have been picked up on on replay um Isabella wins with speed and you have to know how to, how to use that speed. Um, and I, I think there's, there's, there are ample reasons to believe that he, he could develop into our number, number two wide receiver. Um, if we use them properly. Um, I know everyone's thinking about a big time signing opposite Hopkins, but I, I love Isabella and I love the talent of Keyshawn Johnson as well. Um, I think we're in really good shape there, and I can't wait to get my eyes on the NFL version of JoJo Ward, um, who uh, I really liked in Hawaii and was, you know, secretly uh, stashed away on the practice squad right now. And I've been holding my breath that somebody wouldn't claim him. Um, so, but we've got to get the running back situation straight straight now. I think 
you know, anytime, you know, I put up uh, uh, an article out last week about touches, offensive touches, or a few days ago, and it's overwhelming. I mean, the, the reason why our wide receivers two, three, and four, and five are like, you know, ghosts in many of the games is that, you know, there's no, one football, and it's going through Kyler, number one, Kenyon Drake, number two, Chase Edmonds, number three, and DeAndre Hopkins, number four. Now, it's like the NBA, Blake. I mean, how many, how often can you get, you know, five guys to score 15 points or better a game or even double figures a game, right? I mean, there's only one ball. So by the time you feed those four four mouths, um, what do you have left? And, you know, it's kind of sad in a way because Spitz has sort of been relegated to a, you know, buttonhole, you know, button hooks zone buster specialist. I mean, they don't run a real root tree with him anymore, um, which I, I think he could handle, but, you know, um, but they just, you know, they're just not, you know, they're more keen now on throwing uh, the old Fitz routes to Dan Arnold, which is understandable because Arnold is faster um, than Fitz is these days. <laughs> and he's six six with this huge range to jump up and make catches like that in the end zone that you know Correct. used to be you'd throw those to fits outside and one on one. Now you're kind of in a spot where, and like you said, there's so many different, only so many balls to go around for that one. It's kind of a spot where what we're finally seeing from Dan Arnold is I think what we expected to see all season long, which is he doesn't be a 35 catch guy. He'll probably be a 25 to 30 catch guy, but he may have like four to six touchdowns and that's impact playing that you'll be able to get. Um, And then you got a couple others that'll go to your tight end too, which will be a guy in Max Williams. Who's more of a blocker that you find a mismatch. You use it. I think that that's all the stuff that we're seeing from the offense. Uh, The question then of course is, What's kind of then the case that's going to come up with the likes then of uh, Fitz with his current role where we've seen production seemingly plummet. And some of that is he's gone from four catches and I think like 60 yards a game to some like four catches and like 35 yards a game. A lot to me then kind of hinges on Christian Kirk. What are your thoughts about Kirk seemingly disappearing over the past four weeks after he had been looking like he was either a, you know, two to three catches for 70 plus yards. Or if he did get two or three catches, he was at least putting up one or two touchdowns per game. And now it seems like he's been erased. How much of that then hinges on him and his play as far as with what we're seeing from the Cardinals and their wide wide receiver two position? Well, Kirk is so frustrating because, you know, loved him in the Seahawks win. Um, and, And Cliff made great adjustments, by the way, uh, against the Seahawks in their zoning of Kyler was to pass over the top of those linebackers in, in the red zone. And if you notice the TD to Kirk in the back corner of the end zone, he was wide open because you can't really down the, down there, <laughs> excuse me, defend both. Um, you have to sort of commit to one or the other. They were worried about Kyler running the ball and, and they sniffed Kyler out one time and then, couple series later clip through over the top for a wide open touchdown that was that was a great adjustment by him Kirk is I still don't understand why he fashions himself as a wideout when what he should be is a slot but the way he now 
I got to give him credit. He suddenly showed up as a punt returner this past week. That's how he needs to play offense. He's got to, you know, start. He's got to be much more aggressive, Blake, and he'll win from the slot. He's not going to consistently win playing wide out. He's just not. He's not fast enough. But he's quick, and he can separate in short areas. So that's where you got to use him in the slot. But I don't know if he has the mentality to play the slot. I mean, as skittish as he's looked on punt returns, you know, I'm just not sure that he has that, you know, kind of in his plans. And if that's the case, I, I, I'd make a decision on him this off. I'd review his tape because I think you can still get value for him in a trade um, if you need if you need to. But the inconsistencies by now in year three, you know, are a bit concerning. I mean, you can't just disappear like this. And we've been wanting a second receiver just to step up. And it looked at times like he would. And, you know, the kid's a great kid, and he's an awesome talent. He works hard. You know, there's a lot of great things going for Kirk. And he's a local kid, and you got to love that. But I think he's got to discover his football mojo. Um, which he did a little in the Giants game with those punt returns. And he's got to want the ball more. He's got to have, you know, those, you know, in the NFL, you got to be like Julian Edelman. Give me the ball, man. I mean, you got to be like, you got to stand out as someone who's hungry for the football. I'm not sure we're getting enough of that out of Kirk, a wide receiver, partly because he's sort of tucked away on the opposite side of Hopkins in bunch formations or wide out where, you know, he's people cushion him and he's not a factor. So I don't know. What's your take on Kirk? Yeah. With Kirk, it feels like the, like you said, part of it, I think is the inconsistency where he, uh, this is kind of the question of how much of it is his usage where you look at how this is a guy who when coming out was advertised kind of like more of a golden Tate, going to catch 100 balls out of the slot every year type of guy, an intermediate route runner. And what we're seeing is they're using him more of like a Marquise Valdez-Scantling, like this occasional downfield deep shot guy that we're going to use or a guy on the goal line. And I think part of that, at least, is he's a player who it's not he's fine in space, but I don't think he's a guy who necessarily can find space on his own, if this makes any sense. You talk about guys who you can make people miss a tackle in the open field or people who can separate. And I think ultimately the NFL is a game about separation. And I don't see that level of separation on Kirk consistently where you're kind of having to draw up or design plays for him deep. The Cowboys game, they're like, hey, this is we're going to run the play. You're going to get an 80-yard touchdown. It wasn't a Kirk's going to run his route, get wide open, and then get that 80-yard touchdown. That's what I think the difference is. And so for me, I think what you're talking about is I think that if the Cardinals do decide that this is going to be it, if Fitzgerald decides to hang it up, however it works out, and he's moving into the slot in that regard, I think that maybe that ends up being a boost overall to Kirk. But I don't think it's going to be like this you know, career-changing boost like you've seen out of Hassan Reddick. I think that most of the skills that Kirk have had, we've kind of seen that there's a ceiling that you have with him. 
And I think that the ceiling, at least that we have is he's probably a guy who's going to end up catching a wide receiver, three numbers at about five to 600 yards a year. And you're going to see games where he goes off for a buck 20 and two or three touchdowns. And you're going to see games where he's got two catches for 14 yards and doesn't break a tackle. And that to me, I think is the biggest area that I've seen at least where I think part of the context that we have to look at with Kirk was We've come a long way from where the Cardinals were at in 2018 when, you know, remember looking back to that year, the expectation was you had Larry Fitzgerald and then the guys behind him were Bryce Butler, who was released before we got into the season. And then I think it was Greg Little who was coming out of, what was it, two or three years retirement. The Cardinals had no one after John Brown, and John Brown wasn't going to work here. (laughs) Really, the Cardinals have not had a successful wide receiver that they've brought in. We even joke about it for that one, but look at the guy who they brought in to be their number two wide receiver last year and Michael Crabtree. He was released, like, what was it, two, like, after the Baltimore game. He hung around for an extra week or two, and they realized that there just wasn't really any drive in it for him. The team has been just terrible at the spot, and what we've kind of seen, I think, in a lot of ways – is this adjustment from this 10 personnel kind of spread offense to Cliff Kingsbury being like, all right, like we can't find guys who are able to get open. And so Kyler's having to do a lot of it on his own. So for me, when I look at the team, I think that what the Cardinals really truly need is I think you can get by where you're at with edge, knowing you're going to get Chandler Jones back. I think that speed at linebacker is something that, if you have to get by for another season or so with Hicks, you know, it's a, I believe $6 million cap, uh, cap hit on him. Whereas you do save $3 million and change. I would just stick with you and say, yeah, rotate guys in like Vallejo more, be able to kind of, you know, that you're going to have a lot more play from Isaiah Simmons next year. I think speed at corner and speed at receiver, particularly one who can play at outside or inside receiver. That's to me, I think, well, open up the offense to a new level where right now, if you had to ask me, you know, gun to my head, who is the best deep threat on the Arizona Cardinals? I'm going to look at it and say, all right, if you're talking about overall, probably you'd think Isabella's speed would come into factor, but he's not going to be consistent enough. And Kirk isn't either. DeAndre Hopkins is probably the guy who you're trusting the most. If you're going to chuck it 30 to 40 yards downfield with Kyler, you're trusting him to be the guy who's going to come down with it. And to me, that can't be the case because suddenly you're going to become a one-dimensional offense if teams know that all you got to do is, you know, try to have to do these comeback routes to Hopkins because we can shut down Kirk on the other end given the inconsistency. So... I don't know. What what are some of your thoughts, at least, I don't know, as far as with prospects or players, how much of that's on the roster and how much of that's looking at, you know, free agency or the draft for getting a, some speed at wide receiver or a cornerback too? I mean, I think that Isabella can be consistent deep. The problem has been is not throwing it early enough and on the right lines. I mean, when, when he is on the right line and you throw it out there, he gets it. Um, you know, look at his UMass tape. Oh my God, he's deep threat. I mean, he, he was what close to 3,300 yards at UMass, 30 TDs with a like 15.5 average. I mean, he wasn't some dink and dunk um, air raid receiver catching screens all over the place. Now the smart thing that they did with him at UMass is they moved him around in motion so that, people couldn't press on him 
and they could get off the line of scrimmage and use his speed to his advantage on corner routes and, and fly patterns. But, you know, the problem is, is that Kyler has consistently underthrown him. I mean, he's got to let it go earlier and get him out there. Um, I'm still waiting for the day where Kyler scrambles and spots little Isabella way downfield and throws a, throws a dime from like 50 yards for a touchdown. That is very possible. We had one of those in the Jets game, if I remember correctly, and there was another one of those that seemed to break the offense open. In, uh, I don't remember if it was the Seahawks game, but there was another one of those where he did scramble and hit Isabella deep on a long third down. And it's yeah. kind of the – there's a little bit of like, tantalizing this that I think you see from Isabella, but then there's also, I think, a lot of inconsistencies, whether it's routes or whether it's just like a lot of times you'll even look at the – the Seattle Seahawks game, there was another route I think that he ran against, I believe it was the Rams the week following, where he jumped up to get the ball and didn't extend his arms out for it, and as a result didn't get both feet in because the Rams player just shoved him out. And some of that comes down to, you know, placement. Uh, Some of that also is the fact that he set himself up for that. But the other point I want to make on Kirk is, if you're looking at the NFL and what's in vogue now for you know, number two and number three receivers is look at what the um, uh, the 49ers have now with, with uh, Debo Samuels and Brandon Ayuk. I mean, they want guys who can, you know, win out of the slot and then turn into running backs. And, you know, we don't have that. I think even Isabella can, can do some of that. But that's what we really need. We need a slot guy. And I was hoping Kirk would be that guy. But we need a slot slot dude who's, uh, you know, not just, you know, Arnold and, um, you know, flex tight end, but someone who, who can, um, you know, go in motion, catch the ball, and take it on chunk rack yards. If we add that to Hopkins on the other side and Isabella on the uh, as a deep threat, that would be a, you know, a, trifecta for the Cardinals I mean they'd be very difficult to defend but for years now Blake we have not had since Anquan Bolden left we have not had a slot a legitimate tough as nails slot receiver who can win over the middle and um, once we get that um, you know that's why I'm sort of looking at this draft with some of these really good receivers um, who could be slot guys like Rondale Moore um, it's really good. I mean, that kid just uh, out of Purdue. I mean, there are some guys out there who who could, you know, be really good at that at that spot. But the vogue is getting um, wide receivers who turn into running backs once they catch the ball. Right, and uh, yeah, talk a bit about prospects here for some of us. I know that you really like, and we'll see as far as the ability, a lot of Cardinals fans seem to look at of never really having had that kind of elite tight end uh, that's been able to play. And some of that, obviously, is how difficult the position really is because tight end, as we've seen from the likes of Gronkowski and others, it just wears on you because you're having to be a guy who's catching those tough passes over the middle, taking hits from one to two guys, and also having to play an offensive lineman role. And we see how offensive linemen with their knees and other aspects right. where it's hard to find that durability. So 
What I think has been interesting is that the name that comes up for a lot of those guys has been Kyle Pitts, which is the first round yes. uh, guy who's been putting up tons of yardage. I kind of agree with you as far as Pitts is essentially like a big slot receiver in a lot of different ways. And Correct. he's a guy that has gotten a lot of yardage. What I find fascinating, at least, is the guy who I kind of like a bit more in terms of the tight end position has been Pat Freyermuth, uh, who's about 20 pounds heavier and just as athletic. It's almost kind of like a, do you replace your kind of Dan Arnold type role as a tight end, which is that big slot wide receiver. And I, and I think Arnold's kind of in that regard of a receiver too. He's kind of like your big slot or a guy who can flex outside your mismatch. Whereas Fryermuth is much more of this tenacious blocker who can then beat linebackers one-on-one. -on -one. I almost looking at the, the fit, kind of feel like I like Fryermuth more in part because of that nastiness and the blocking. And maybe some of it's just bias from seeing the Cardinals take a lot of these, you know, uh, 240 pound guys or these, you know, hybrid tight ends who just don't seem to have that same type of tenaciousness in the NFL. Um, I would say kind of give me the guy at least who is kind of that athletic freak for that one, but I wouldn't put it past if the Cardinals did want to go that route. The other thing that I think has been interesting and you bring up more as far as like this wide receiver too, who can, you know, catch the ball after contact and other stuff. He makes a lot of his living uh, as one of those guys who, you know, breaks a tackle and he's gone hitting him on a slant and no one can catch him. To me, the interesting aspect is that that's one of the things that's in vogue in the NFL. And that's also super helpful for pocket quarterbacks. But I don't know how much it plays as far as with when I look at Kyler and the way that he's played, he really started to develop once the team got a boundary wide receiver who was able to separate and get open on the outside. Right. And I think that part of that's because of Kyler's skill set of being such a elite deep ball passer, being a guy who can hit guys on the back shoulder. We right. saw one of those back shoulder plays to Dan Arnold in this Giants game, which probably should have been a catch. The ball moved a bit. It just showed oh, that yeah, elite ability to throw to the outside. And to me, it makes me feel like, well, in that case, I think back to his days at Oklahoma, the offense that was set up was primarily an offense that had him throwing outside routes to um, essentially the likes of CeeDee Lamb and Hollywood Brown. And both of them were just these elite outside guys that were able to just burn these boundary corners one way or the other. So for me, well, I think that Overall, it's an improvement to the team. What I just wonder is if you could get a guy who's able to separate on the outside, similar to kind of what you're looking at for running those same routes as Kirk, but then can also jump into the slot. That kind of to me feels like, hey, if you're able to have a 10 personnel set up with a, a deep threat in Hopkins on one side, a deep threat that's going to demand safety help over the top. Suddenly you move the likes of Kirk, Isabella, or others into the slot, and you're telling me that you're still going to have Dan Arnold in there. That, to me, would create an offense that's effectively able to run the 10 personnel that Cliff is able to make while still simultaneously able to run the football and be able to develop yards for him or for Kyler. I think that, to me, has been kind of the missing piece. And when you're talking about the kind of on vogue um, wide receiver who becomes a running back after the catch, you know, like the Debo Samuels of the world is one of those. The Tyreek Hill, even as far as for a speed guy. Right. The one that stood out to me the most when watching that I think is the best that would be kind of a solid pick 
would be Jalen Waddle out of Alabama is yes. the top one. He yes. runs after the catch yes, like does. Kyler Murray runs after the catch, like right. takes angles, moves around. And what'll be interesting is like some people wonder, hey, like we saw Henry Ruggs go first of these wide receivers in this draft. Is that going to be like a similar thing for a trend or is it going to be a spot where because of the injury he had this year and then the production, is he going to end up falling a bit in the draft for that? And that's something that I'm not really sure of. I do think at least if you look at all of that, it'll really depend on how the Cardinals are able to address corner, how they're able to work in the off season of making sure that they've got enough depth. But I kind of agree with you. I think if you bring in a veteran wide receiver on a one year deal as a slot guy specifically to challenge Isabella and maybe move Keyshawn into the slot some, I think you're probably fine at that spot where I don't know if you have to necessarily say, Hey, we've got to spend this first round pick on this slot tight end. As far as I think if you find an outside receiver with speed and take advantage of that deep threat, I think that would probably renovate the Cardinals offense. And the the comparison that I would go to is if you look at the Cardinals right now as having the likes of the CD lamb and not really having that Hollywood Brown. I think you also look at the Houston Texans offense with Deshaun Watson of they found a Will Fuller to pair with DeAndre Hopkins. Correct. And we got to see that offense be playoff worthy. And in fact, it really took the chiefs, uh, offense exceeding that (laughs) and being able to see some lockdowns and changes that really prevented the Texans from beating the chiefs that year. I think that that's the biggest thing that I've looked at. And John and I have talked about how wide receiver two has become a bigger need. And in part, unfortunately it's because of Kirk. And the good news is there's a lot of these rookie wide receivers this year, I think who will fit that mold that you can pick up knowing, Hey, we, we don't have to go out and pay a second guy the Larry Fitzgerald's contract or find a Robbie Anderson because you can get one of these guys, have them on a five-year deal. And if they are good enough to pay, suddenly you look at the end of Hopkins deal. And I feel like that's kind of the place I would lean toward right now, if I had to say, and this assumes the Cardinals go through that off season, but what do you think as far as with Arizona when it comes to these wide receivers and how much of this is us, you know, maybe overrating and looking at the skill position a a bit too much. (laughs) Maybe that's the fantasy football angle and how much of this is kind of a serious need for the team. What's frustrating to me about it is, you know, I want to see Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson targeted more. You got to know what we have in these kids. I think they're going to surprise. I really do. I mean, Keyshawn Johnson, I mean, I was talking to Kyle Sloter, who was our, one of our quarterbacks last year, and he was like, Mitch, you know, Keyshawn Johnson is a stud physically. I mean, he couldn't stop raving about Keyshawn Johnson, and he is. He is a, a great player waiting to happen. And what always concerns me, and I'm sure it concerns you too, is overdrafting at the same position and, and finding out the guy you drafted before is just as good, if not better. So why did we do that? You know, um, that's why I'm also wondering about the defensive, you know, interior. I mean, we've drafted three really solid young players there that I think have good futures for us in, you know, um, Foto and Allen and Lawrence. I mean, are we going to take another tackle in the first round this year? I hope we don't. I want to build with these guys. But unfortunately, you know, um, on 
with with Cliff's offense, the young guys don't get much playing time. The other thing is, and this is a, a huge concern to me, is we've got we cannot continue to think that one lead back is going to get through 16 games, carrying the amount of times that Drake has been doing. And um, you know the the vogue there is the stable of backs, right? I mean, you got that in New England. You got that with the 49ers. I mean, look at how many, you know, the 49ers can't keep their guys healthy. But those guys get after it, man. But so you need a stable of running backs. It's a concern to me. I mean, why did you draft, you know, Benjamin and are just hiding him on the roster and roster? And, oh, no, well, if Chase doesn't play this week, no, not, not, you know, he's not ready. And now they have Jonathan Ward, who I think they like. We none of us have seen him carry the ball once, but I'd love to see it. Let me see what you guys see in this kid. Um, I'd love to know. I get a taste of that to know whether he's the running back three for next year. But we definitely have to address the running back position. And I'll tell you this: I mean, with this, in terms of touches. The second most valuable skill player on the roster is the lead running back. So as much as we want to talk wide receiver two, I mean, if in the first round, Travis ATN is sitting there or the second round, you know, uh, um, you know, some of those really good, uh, who is it? Najee um, from Alabama, um, <clears throat> Najee Harris, um, He's 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 a special player. I mean, there are some good running backs in this draft that I think you know, uh, Chuba uh, Hubbard from Oklahoma State. I mean, there's some guys in the draft you could draft, but you know, no one Cliff. He doesn't like to play rookies, so I don't know what you do. I don't know if Kenyon Drake is going to stick to his you know lofty salary demands. Um, you know, because you know he's a. He's a tough kid. I I never fashioned him as a power running back. I don't know if you did. I thought he was a, you know, change of pace back, good receiver. And he surprised me a little bit. I mean, from his toughness standpoint, um, we know he's, he kind of gained some weight, but now we see why. I mean, he has, he's taken a pounding and he's made it this far. He's, he's missed what one game um, on, on a play where he, battle you know he, he he uh you know suffered an angle injury and still still managed to gain that huge first down against the Seahawks that that gave us a chance in that game to come back and win um but that I, I would say number one skill-wise priority is running back one I don't know about you but it looks to me like they don't fashion Chase as a running back one they love him in his current role as a running back two but you have to get a running back three. It can't be DJ Foster. And it's got to be someone that they can trust. And we're going to need, you know, three and possibly four running back next year. We need a stable. And I'd love to see Cliff start to mix it up a little bit more there so that we have depth. But, yeah, the, the, it's going to be tantalizing because, again, like last year, they're going to be really good wide receivers sitting there in the first round because there's – by my count, there's eight or nine of them that, you know, I, I would give first round grades to the Bama kids, you know, um, and, and, you know, there are quite a few other, the kid from Minnesota is awesome. Um, 
you know, there are a number of really fine um, running backs, I mean, wide receiver types in this draft that are going to be very appealing. And um, so, but like you said, the offseason will have to take care of other needs first. <clears throat> but, and somewhere along the line, if you don't sign a running back in free agency, I think all options should be open come draft time. Um, what do you, what's your take on Travis ATN? Yeah, ATN's one of those guys who, when you talk about running backs who obviously get a first-round grade, he's one of the guys who's right up there. You look at guys like him, uh, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, as far as being able to kind of do it all from a running standpoint and be a home run threat and still be able to you know get it done between the tackles, I think that he's there. The biggest thing I think that's kind of shifted for some teams, if you look at it, is the views on running backs and first round running backs specifically as far as their value has dropped significantly and a lot of that i think is because uh when you when you look at the nfl in a lot of cases as far as supply and demand goes i think you kind of reach a point where teams are realizing like uh, there's kind of they're kind of at a crossroads how much of this is you know you take a look at like a good example you even give with um you look at David Johnson. Cardinals paid David Johnson like a top five running back, and they trade a fifth round pick for a guy who averaged you know four point six yards per carry. Yeah. Never got a lot of carries in right. Miami. Suddenly he comes over to Arizona and maintains that four point six yards per carry. And like, okay, how did right. this happen? This guy, some weeks he goes out and gets you know two point five yards a carry, and then you look at the game scripts and you realize some of that ultimately is. You know, you get to the second half, guys get worn down, teams are running. Suddenly, he's able to break these big, you know, 20-yard gains in the fourth quarter, being able to take advantage of either play call adjustments or break a tackle, and he's gone. So some of this, I think, ultimately is schematic and looking at the NFL and looking at the Cardinals and being like, yeah, like, do you need to necessarily have a running back who can break off tackles and make plays on his own if you've got a guy like Kyler Murray in the backfield? And I think that's schematically something, at least, that we've seen as far as with Arizona, with why they love Chase in his current role, is he's a guy who is so quick. Uh, you know, I think he had a very high three cone as far as how quick he's able to change his direction. You get him into space of any sort, and he's able to break off a big run. But he's not a guy that you're going to want to pound the football between the tackles, you know, 20 times a game. Drake's been a guy who is uh, have that ability. So... The NFL's kind of at this crossroads of do you take these talented guys like the Dalvin Cooks and Christian McCaffreys who take these punishing blows and can make these big runs and give them the big money deal only to watch them go kind of in the Todd Gurley, Melvin Gorvin route and suddenly start to break down right after you kind of give them the big deal, just like David Johnson did. And I think that GMs have to then make this decision because in some cases, someone mentioned this, I think um, – on Twitter, and they said it's personal too because how often is it that you get the guy who absorbs blow after blow on your team and then you just say, yeah, we're not going to pay you the big deal for that one because, you know, your running backs have a shelf life and let them go. That's a tough message to send to everyone else on your team. And that's one of those hard facets of the NFL and one of these adjustments that I think you kind of have to make. And to me, the sweet spot seems to be Looking at running backs in the second round where you're able to get a guy who maybe has close to first round talent or value, 
taking them on and then working them in and then finding those Todd Gurley's and Melvin Gordon's on a one-year deal. Um, like I, I look back to the Cardinals in 2013. They had Richard Mendenhall took a lot of those big hits and he gave way to Andre Ellington. 2015, you had Chris Johnson taking a lot of those big hits and it gave way to David Johnson. I think for the Cardinals in that aspect, you're able to find running backs somewhere on day two as kind of your sweet spot. And you find your running back three, like exactly where I think you found Eno Benjamin. So I think that you maybe could look at and argue for some aspect if you wanted to take a running back high. But to me, I think I would just look at the team and the Cardinals and say, like, you're able to at least find running backs that are able to be effective overall. To me, that's where I think you put your investment and put your capital then into finding talents like speed and guys who you're not really able to replace. Like, one of the things that we talked about with Derek Brown this year was you can probably find a guy who's similar to Derek Brown in, you know, next year's draft who's able to stop the run and maybe has some pass rushing upside that y you didn't count on. I think it's really hard to find those cornerbacks with speed, the wide receivers with speed, um, who are able to kind of get open and separate. And it's hard to find guys like Isaiah Simmons this year as a unicorn for saying, hey, like, we're drafting an off-ball linebacker, but he can play safety for us and become an edge rusher. And utilizing that mismatch is something that not a lot of teams are, you know, able to have overall. So that's kind of where I stand, where I wouldn't rule out those types of running backs as far as looking at that for the team. But I would just strongly encourage Arizona to be like, what's going to have more value for you overall? A guy who can, you know, catch an 80-yard touchdown bomb or a guy who can, you know, break an 80-yard touchdown run. And to me, I just feel like that I'd rather get the five years out of the rookie deal on the wide receiver knowing that I can pay them again for another five years, whereas that running back, he's probably going to be gone by year two of the deal. I don't know if that makes as much sense, but what are your feelings at least on some of that?